Oh, that's so good to hear. The population of London, Ontario is oh, I'm sorry, I wanted to make it. It's like you What's going on, RCC? It's so good to be back uh, in Florida from Atlanta. Good to see all you guys. A um, few of you uh, this morning said hello to me. A few of you uh, frowned. That's okay. Um, I'm glad to be here anyway. By the way, has anybody seen Paul Smith in like a year? Like, where is that guy at? Is he okay? Seriously? No, I'm just kidding. We had dinner last night. He's doing awesome. Um, Paul's actually at uh, Chipley this morning. So those of you in Chipley, uh, give him a hug for us all. Uh, Paul is going to be uh, preaching again next week, kicking off a series called No Regrets. And uh, if you don't want to have a regret, be here next Sunday or you will regret it. See what I did there? And invite some friends with you to come because it's going to be a really great series. He, he and I were ta talking about it last night over dinner. And uh, man, it's going to be great. So bring some friends with you next week. No regrets. Regrets. Paul Smith's kicking that off uh, next week. Okay, today we are finishing our conversation called Voices, and I'm excited to finish this. Um, I, I've been here a lot over the last, you know, five, six, seven years, something like that. I say a lot, like a few times a year. So some of you know this about me, but uh, I, I don't just drive down from Atlanta. I was born and raised in Atlanta. There's not a lot of people who are born and raised in Atlanta. When, when you meet people in Atlanta, they've almost all come from some other worse place to Atlanta. And and so they came to Atlanta seeking something great, and what they found is what I grew up with, right? If you grow up in Atlanta, you get real comfortable with traffic. Uh, everywhere you go, you just plan for an hour and a half, which is part of the deal. Uh, you get really comfortable with the airport. I, I remember the first time I flew to a different airport, I thought, wow, this thing is so small. And they said, it's Chicago O'Hare. I'm like... <laughs> I know, like, why, why is it so tiny in Chicago? I didn't realize that all airports don't look like Atlanta. I, I didn't realize that. I, I grew up in Atlanta as a kid where this was like pre-TSA, right? So um, you could like bring guns onto planes, I guess. I don't know what that meant. But before TSA, my mom and dad would take me to the airport and we would ride the uh, SkyTrain, that's what it's called. We'd ride the SkyTrain to all the gates and stand at the windows and watch the planes land and take off. I remember that as a kid. They'll shoot you if you do that today, but... When I was a kid, I remember it was so much fun. Um, also, growing up in Atlanta, I, I'm a sports guy. Like, I really love playing sports. Uh, my favorite sport was basketball, but right behind it was baseball. And growing up in Atlanta as a sports fan, it's rough, rough. Up until recently, but uh, up until recently, it has been a rough slog of a sports fan career. Like, we hate Boston, not just because of the accents, it's because they win everything, it seemed like. Meanwhile, Atlanta loses everything up until recently. I, can't, I still can't believe Atlanta United, if you're a soccer person, you should follow them. They're, they're having a tough go right now. But they won the, the, the MLS championship, which led the way, it broke the curse for UGA. I know that's probably not good for you, but go dogs. I don't really care, to be honest. It's 
Somebody like Georgia? Yeah, okay, whatever. You're by yourself, by the way, but way to go. Um, and then the Braves, man, the Braves won the World Series. So, like, I couldn't believe it. And, you know, it was so kind of fun for me to watch that having grown up in Atlanta because as a little kid growing up, my mom and I would go to Braves games all the time because I liked baseball and nobody went to Braves games. Like, if you wanted to go to the Braves game, you just showed up. And they had thousands of tickets. They had more open seats than people in seats when I was a kid. We would go to Fulton County Stadium. It doesn't exist anymore. It's just a parking lot now. You go to Fulton County Stadium. You would show up without a ticket. You'd go to the general admission ticket booth. It costs like a dollar to buy a general admission ticket. And you would have a seat up in the very top. And by the third inning, you were right behind third base because nobody was there. Like today, if you show up to the Brave Stadium, you know, if you try to go down to the lower level with a non-lower level ticket, they're like, no, sir, you have to turn around. Back then, the ushers were apathetic. They didn't even care. They weren't winning anything. They didn't care. So we would sit all the way down in the front with these general admission tickets. It was so fun. I loved watching like Bob Horner and Dale Murphy. Some of you know these names, uh, Glenn Hubbard. Uh, there was a guy named Bruce Benedict. I remember being a kid. Every time Bruce Benedict came to the plate, everybody would go, boo. And I remember asking my mom, why are we booing our player? Like, no, they're saying Bruce, Bruce. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool, you know? <laughs> I loved going, um, and one of my favorite memories uh, of being at Braves games, um, maybe you remember this as a kid, every time we would sing the national anthem, it, it was kind of cool. It was like, we would all stand up. I remember my mom saying, take your hat off, and I'm like, okay, but I have hat hair, you know, and take the hat off, and we would stand there, and we would sing the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, say, can you see? And, and you know, they always invite some person out there. They're real nervous. I think it's a hard song to sing. Um, people are always messing it up, and so you'd see the nervous person singing it, and it was kind of exciting. And I remember as a kid loving two parts of it. It happens at the very end of the song. The very end of the song was so cool. One, because they talked about a, a concept that even as a five-year-old kid, I really embraced. And I thought it was so cool that they wrote this song for my favorite baseball team. You remember this? This is how the end of the song goes. Or the land of the free. This is when they make it their own, you know, like, like to run it out like for an hour. You know, all that stuff. So that's cool. And the home of the Braves. I used to think it was so cool. I, I remember asking my mom one day, like, you mean like way back then they wrote this song for my baseball team? That is so cool, you know? But I really do, even as a kid, I remember hearing this word, the land of the free, and thinking, yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, mom. Like, I just want to be more free. Like, I wanna be able to do whatever I wanna do. I wanna be able to go where I wanna go on my huffy bicycle. Like, I don't wanna be told what to do. Like, I wanna come home whenever I wanna come home. And I know the lights just came on in the, the street. I don't care, I'm free to do whatever I want. Like, there was that thing, even in me as a kid, right, that just so desperately wanted to be free. I mean, it's kind of baked into our entire country, right? I mean, founding fathers, the right to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. You can't have any of those things if there isn't at least some amount of freedom. Like we love, we love the idea of freedom. Have you ever read books? or watched movies that allowed freedom kind of was the, the center point of the entire thing. We love those books. If you ever want to make a movie, write a book, whatever, and you want it to be a, a bestseller, you want to make a million dollars at the box office, just make it about freedom. Everybody will go and see that. Can you think of some movies, even really quick, can you think of some movies that are about freedom? Any ideas? There's one really popular one. 
it, it stars this really good looking Scotsman and he paints his face blue and white. He rides around on a horse. You know the movie I'm talking about, right? Braveheart? Like Braveheart is the epitome of freedom movies. If you haven't seen this movie, what is wrong with you? I, I don't, if you haven't seen the movie, we're gonna spoil it for you, but I don't feel that bad. It's been 40 years or something. Like, it, you know, get on board. So Braveheart, incredible story. William Wallace, William Wallace, he is Mel Gibson, by the way. William Wallace is fighting against the tyranny and oppression for his people. And he's gathering this ragtag group of people. And there is this one moment where they're about to go to war. And all of his people are so nervous and they're wanting to turn around and run and hide, right? And William Wallace with his face painted blue and white, I think it makes it more dramatic. I don't know if they really did that. It's not like camouflage, but blue and white, he's running on his course and he starts like chanting and he starts like speaking to his people. And it is one of the most kind of moving moments in all of cinematography. That's an overstretch, but it's really good. It's this really good moment. Do you, anybody know that moment? It's so cool. Um, somebody told me this morning that um, your very own Kenny Keith can do an incredible Scottish accent. So I was gonna quote it for you, but instead I'm gonna ask Kenny to do it. You guys invite Kenny out real quick. Kenny, come here. Now, I, I've been told that you are really good at speaking Scottish. I. No, it's more than just that. Say your name in Scottish. Good afternoon. My name is Kenny Keith. All right, that's good enough. That's better than mine. Okay, Kenny. All right, Braveheart. Have you seen the movie? Love it. All right, you're about to be William Wallace. I want you to read this. Let me get into the character. Read this for us and get us hyped about freedom. You ready? I'm ready. All right, off you go. I am William Wallace. I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as freemen, and freemen you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? No, run and live! <laughs> Thank you, Trevor. Yes, fight, and you may die. Run, and you will live at least a while. And dying in your bed many years from now, would you be willing to trade all these days from this day to that for one chance? for just one chance to come back here as young men and tear our enemies. The day may take over lives, but they will never take our freedom! Wow, that was pretty good. That was really good. Thank you, guys. Hey, give Kenny a hand. That was really impressive. That's way better than I could do. Okay, isn't it incredible? Now, Kenny isn't really Scottish. I know he faked you out. Um, it's really good. Even as you listen to him read that, you're not in the movie. You're not fighting against tyranny. I mean, you may have a spouse or something, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like, like your kids are terrors, that's different. Like, but isn't there something, even in hearing that, on a stage in church, it makes you feel like, yeah, like let's go get a motorcycle and a switchblade or something, right? Like, it kind of fires you up. And you know what it is? It's that word freedom. We love the idea of freedom and we hate the idea of tyranny. Politicians love to use this word. They use tyranny as if like we're really William Wallace. We don't live in a country with any tyranny to be honest, but we love fighting against it because we love the opposite of it. You know, there are some words, most things in life aren't binary, right? But there are some things that don't really make a lot of sense without the opposite. Like you can't have good if you don't have 
Yeah, above average IQ, right? Bad, right? You can't have, you know, you can't have black if you don't have white. These things like are, are somewhat defined by their opposites. Freedom is the same way. Freedom is defined by the opposite. There's a word that kind of puts freedom in context, and it's the word authority. We don't like authority because authority works against freedom. Or to say it this way, authority limits autonomy. You can't really be free, right, if you don't have autonomy. And authority is a thing that works against your freedom. Authority is what works against your autonomy. I mean, think about how we see this everywhere. You ever watch like a two-year-old and they're about to cross the street with their mom and they wanna yank their hand away. I wanna die and get hit by a car myself, you know? Like, I'm gonna cross the street by myself. Don't tell me what to do. I'm gonna do whatever I want. I can have 45 Chips Ahoy cookies. No one can stop me, you know? Or, or, or maybe like a teenager, you've seen like teenage rebellion. It's just an anti-authority movement. That's all that is. Speed limits, we obey the ones that we think are appropriate, right? Your boss, your boss may be a fantastic human being, but you hate him. You hate her. You know why? Because <laughs> they're your boss. They tell you what to do. This is, I don't mean this politically at all, but just hang with me for a minute. Um, you know the reason that so many of us were so frustrated with vaccines and masks? It's not because of science, and I'm not a virologist. And by the way, you aren't either, right? So like, I love it when people are like, I did my own research. I'm like, really? You ran clinical trials out of your basement? That's amazing, you know? <laughs> so it isn't, it isn't that we don't agree with vaccines and masks. You know what we don't like? We just don't wanna be told what to do. Seriously, that's the biggest problem. I, I, I actually think if the government would have come along and said, whatever you do, don't wear a mask, we'd have been like, okay, give me five of them. <laughs> Why? Reverse psychology, I don't know. We just don't wanna be told what to do. That's the biggest problem. That's our issue, right? E even the word ought to or should for some of you makes you kind of cringe a little bit because you don't want to ought to do anything if you don't want to. You shouldn't have to do anything. Nobody should have to do anything. I mean, as long as it isn't hurting anybody else, what's the big deal, you know? Gosh, we love freedom, which means we really don't like authority. We resist it like crazy. I mean, I, I can't be me, right, if I'm not free. Like, I can't be fully me if people are holding me back, if people are telling me what to do. I can't be me. Authority is the problem, right? And, right, we, 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 we think this is partially, I think this is partially why we've adopted this phrase, you do you. You heard this phrase, you do you, boo, sometimes, right? You do you, boo, you've heard that before. That whole phrase, that whole concept is just a movement away from authority and towards freedom. It comes in several different phrases. I guarantee you've heard it, and you may have even used it. Don't elbow or raise your hand, but you may have used one of these phrases before, right? Like, you do you, or be true to yourself. Have you heard this before? Just be true to yourself, right? Right? Because you're such a great person. Be true to yourself, you know? Follow your heart, because that's never destroyed anybody's life, right? <laughs> Next week, Paul's series, No Regrets, right? Almost every regret you have started by you following your heart, right? Your heart's a moron, right? <laughs> like your heart wants something now, no matter what the consequence is later, right? You know, but th that's such a dangerous thing. Find yourself. I'm not suggesting like finding more about yourself is a bad thing, discovering your personality and all those. I love that stuff. I love learning about myself, my wife, coworkers. It helps me love them better and work with them better the more I know about them. But, you know, for the sake of your own autonomy, I don't know, it feels a little dangerous. Or you be happy. Just do what makes you happy, you know? Who cares what it does to everybody else? But you, sh you deserve to be happy. That word happy is kind of a big deal. 
That's ultimately what all of these things are driving towards. That's what freedom is driving towards. Our desire to be free is really a desire for us to find happiness, to be happy. Very few of us are on a truth quest. Most of us are on a happiness quest. We're just trying to find happiness. And it's elusive, isn't it? It changes all the time. And this isn't just like secular people doing this. Like we pursue happiness as Christians all the time. I mean, deep in our heart, we want freedom from authority so that we can experience happiness in our life. That's really what we want. And again, it's not like a Christian thing. Like a large percentage of Christians when they're interviewed say things like the greatest goal in life is happiness. Now they'll use the word joy, right? But, but the, the, the greatest goal, the greatest experience in life is discovering happiness. And, and this push, right? This push for freedom, it's a big deal. Like this push for freedom means like we have to find happiness by traveling down a path of you do you boo. And the problem is it leads us down a path that ultimately becomes very much not the gospel, not about God. This path, you've ever been in the ocean, I know you have, you, you live an hour from it. You know, you go to the ocean and maybe like you're boogie boarding, you're like floating in a float on the waves and you're having so much fun. And an hour goes by and you look up, you're like, oh shoot, where's my tent, you know? And the current has taken you a mile down the beach. And then you gotta walk out and drag that dumb boogie board a mile back to your tent, right? But you didn't notice the drift. It, the current was so subtle. That's how the you do, you boo movement is. It's very subtle. The, the you be happy, you discover yourself. It's a very subtle movement and it feels right from step zero to one and one to two and it just feels logical. But at the end of the journey, you're miles away from where you want to be and kind of know you should be as a follower of Jesus. Let, let me kind of show you how this journey to, to, to find happiness actually goes. It begins with the first step, that the highest good is individual freedom, happiness, self-definition, and, and self-expression, which on the surface we think, okay, like big deal. Like, yeah, I, I think it's important. Maybe it's not the highest good, but yeah, I mean, discovering freedom and happiness, it seems like a, a, good, a good goal. That's the first subtle step, though which leads to step number two. Step number two, traditions, religions, received wisdom like from our elders and the people who have gone before us, who by the way are so much smarter than us. Like you didn't realize how incredibly wise your parents were until you became one, right? Like that received wisdom, regulations, social ties, any of these things that restrict Individual freedom, happiness, self-definition, and self-expression must be reshaped, reconstructed, or destroyed. It's the second step. We're only the second step in, there's seven. And already in step two, we've decided that if pursuing happiness, pursuing freedom, means we gotta resist everything that works against it, therefore, we have to resist large organizations, churches, any of these things that don't allow us to experience freedom and we gotta reshape them. We gotta deconstruct them or maybe even just completely abolish them if happiness and freedom is the goal. Step two, step three, it gets better. The world will inevitably improve. You have to believe this if we're gonna go down the path. The world will inevitably improve as the scope of our individual freedom grows. So the more that each of us are allowed to be free, right, the better the world will get. Now, it doesn't take much of a stretch to realize how crazy that might be, right? But you have to believe that's true to move towards individual freedom. 
Step four, the primary social ethic is, here's a really good word, tolerance. Anybody ever heard that word, right? Of late, everywhere, right? The primary social ethic is tolerance of everyone's self-defined quest for individual freedom and self-expression. All right, I'm gonna talk about that for a whole sermon. We won't do it. All right, right, number five. This is my favorite one. Humans are inherently good. We have to believe that, <laughs> which they're not. You know that, right? Again, I, I jokingly talked about two-year-olds wanting freedom, but have you ever like watched a, like a toddler and thought, oh my gosh, their heart is so pure, right? <laughs> like they're the worst, you know? Like you never once, you never once dropped your kid off at preschool and said, no, okay, now listen, if Tommy has the toy you want, here's what I want you to do. Punch him in the throat. Like, just punch him in the throat, put him in a headlock, take his toy, spit on him if you want. It's optional, walk away. Like, never once. Like, never once did you tell your toddler, you know, when you came home, hey, who ate all the cookies? And they got cookie on their face. Hey, did you eat any cookies? And they're like, yes, yes, ma'am, I ate all of them. I ate, ate three and a half, you know? Like, no, 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 you don't tell the truth, lie. When I come home and I say, did you eat the cookies? You lie, because that way you won't be in trouble. Like, lie about it. You never taught your kid to do it. They just automatically were liars. It's incredible. Why is that? We're gonna find out more in a minute. It's because we're not inherently good. It's one of our biggest problems. But for this freedom pursuit to be okay for everyone, we have to believe that everyone's good. Two more. Large-scale structures and institutions are suspicious at best and evil at worst because you know what institutions do? They oppress their authorities. They hold you back from being you, which leads to our last and the most dangerous step. Forms of external authority are rejected and personal authenticity, another buzzword, is lauded. That's the final step on this dangerous freedom happiness journey that eventually we have to get to a place where all forms of external authority are rejected so that we can be free to be me, so that you can do you, boo. It has to happen for that to happen. Now, as a Jesus follower, as a Jesus follower, that should automatically cause some consternation in your heart. It should automatically make you feel a little bit uneasy because there's something about rejecting all authority. That, as a Jesus follower, now, if you're not a Jesus follower, not a Christian, you're like, I don't understand what the problem is, Gavin. I totally understand, I get it. But if you follow Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you believe that God is who he says he is and that, that he'll do what he's promised to do, there's a really big problem in this whole idea. And the problem comes with this word authority. Authority is the real problem here. Authority is the issue here because God is an authority. God's the creator of the world. He's the creator of your world. He's the creator of you. He is an authority whether you want him to be or not. He's in charge. And you have freedom to choose you have freedom to choose, but it doesn't mean that he isn't still in control. It doesn't mean that he's not the authority. It's amazing that how problematic this is. It's just baked into the DNA of the human condition. I mean, I won't tell you the whole story, but if you go back to the very beginning of time, right, Genesis, right, literal or figurative, it doesn't matter how you read it, the point is still the same. People are created, people have an authority in their life, God, what's one of the first things they do? Disobey, why? Because they wanna do you, boo. I can imagine Adam looking at Eve going, I don't know, man, you do you, boo, right? You do what you want. Like, you be happy, follow your heart. Your heart wants the fruit, you should have the fruit. Follow your heart, Eve. Nothing bad will happen, right? Thanks a lot, Adam, right? I mean, 
is how it works. It's been baked in us since the beginning. We just don't want authority because authority works against what we want the most, freedom and autonomy. Maybe you realize this, I don't know if you do. God actually wants you to experience freedom. God so desperately wants you to experience freedom. I don't know if you know that or not. And the apostle Paul wrote a lot about it because there were all of these churches uh, in the first century that he helped launch and plant and he's writing letters to them, like two thirds of your New Testament. They're made up of all these letters. And he desperately wanted all the people in these new churches, these new Christians to experience freedom. And there wasn't a lot of freedom in the first century. You think we have it bad now, you should be a first century Jewish turned Christian. I mean, there's no freedom. The Jewish people don't like you. They're trying to rule over you. They're still trying to enforce the law of Moses on you, even though you're living in grace and in freedom with God now, right? Rome is an authority that you don't wanna be mad at you. They're a real authority. They really have their thumb on you. And in the midst of all of that, Paul, the apostle Paul writes a lot about freedom because he understood it better than I think we do. So in one of these letters in the city of Galatia, he writes specifically about freedom. And I want us to see what he wrote because I think if we can understand his goal for freedom and his understanding of freedom, it will allow us to actually experience what we want, but maybe in a way that we weren't sure was available. Here's how he starts on freedom. He says, for you have been called to live in freedom, which sounds like William Wallace, doesn't it? Or like the beginning of a really good like Lee Greenwood song, you know? For you've been called to live in freedom. You know that song? Where at least the Galatians can be free. I don't know how it goes, but like it sounds really good on the surface, right? So you are called to live in freedom. You're called to live in that. To which we go, yeah, I like the way this is starting, Paul. This is great. Now, of course, he's also recognizing that it doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. In another letter, he specifically talked about that. This is so cool. Paul's so smart. He says, you say, like these Christians, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. Like in freedom, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I mean, isn't that true? Like in freedom, you can do anything. Doesn't mean that everything's good for you. Like in freedom, you can follow your heart, <laughs> but it doesn't mean it's gonna work out well for you. You are free to do that. It doesn't mean it's gonna go well all the time. With that in mind, Paul continues. He says, so, so you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but do not use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. You ever seen the cartoon that has like a little devil on a shoulder whispering? You know what the devil is whispering, right? Follow your heart, follow your heart. You do you boo, that's what it's whispering. That's the voice on one shoulder. It's a voice that's so active in our life. Paul just calls it our, our sinful nature. And we don't talk a ton about sin all the time. Sin's kind of one of those words that is a little off-putting, but you know what sin is, right? Sin is so easy to define. Sin, sin is anything that works against what God is working for. That's what sin is. That's, it's just that easy. Anything that we do that works against what God is working for is sin. Anything you do against somebody else that works against what God is working for for them is sin. This is why morality stuff is always sinful because it's working against something for somebody else that God's working for. But if it works against what God is working for in your life, it's sin too because you're a person. And if it works against what God is working for with you, it's sin. That's what sin is. And so Paul says we have this sinful nature 
in us. And it doesn't mean that we're a bad person, it just means that we're a person. We have this voice on our shoulder and it's calling out to us to do you, to follow your heart. And that's really one of our biggest vices is the voice. One of our biggest vices is that voice that's always leading us to follow our heart. You know what our nature really does, right? Our, our nature just calls us to reject authority. That's what the voice is saying all the time. Our, that voice is saying that we should reject authority in pursuit of autonomy. That's what that one voice is always saying. Paul knows that. He's lived that his whole life. He understands it. So he, he continues to the Galatians. He, he says, you've been called to live in freedom, but, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, there's another option. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. He continues and he quotes something from Jesus. He says, for the whole law can be summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Something you can choose to do in your freedom. You can choose that. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. And he continues, he says, so, so I say, let the Holy Spirit, this is the first time he talks about that here. The Holy Spirit is a part of God. It's the Spirit of God that when you place your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell in your heart. Another way of thinking of it is a new voice appears in your life. When the Holy Spirit comes into your, your spirit, into your soul, into your heart, it's almost like getting that other voice on your other shoulder. It doesn't mean the, the bad one's gone, the you do you voice doesn't go away, but a new voice is present. A, a new person is present, whispering in our ear. Now the problem is that the original voice is really loud. There's a lot of yelling. This new voice, this new voice can be very quiet. It's kind of like a true counselor, helping you, guiding you, advocating for you. It's what the Holy Spirit does. And if you allow this Holy Spirit to be the God in your life, Paul says, then, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Now, what does the sinful nature crave, right? Some very obvious stuff, right? The sinful nature, the sinful nature wants to do evil, not like kill people, although maybe, I don't know who's in your life, you know, but it doesn't mean like that level of evil, it's just anything that works against what God's working for. That's the evil, anything that's sinful. The human nature kind of is pulled towards that which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us the desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Again, he is literally setting up the two voices, the two people, one yelling, one whispering. And we have a choice, we have freedom to choose which one we wanna to listen to. He says these two forces, or voices, are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free. That's incredible, think about that. You have these two warring factions that make you actually not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. Here's what, here's what Paul is basically saying. He's basically saying that our selfish vices are fighting against our faithful virtues. That's Paul's point. Is that in our life, we have this selfish vices, this voice on one shoulder, and it's constantly at battle, at, at war, at odds with these faithful virtues that we have through the Holy Spirit. Again, you ever seen a baby, super selfish, one person on the shoulder, eat the cookies, punch them in the throat, you know? There isn't the other voice, and that other voice changes everything. I don't know how much you realize, how much we realize 
the change that is to take place in our hearts and in our lives when we place our faith in Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote about that in another letter. He said this, you know, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, who's put their faith in Jesus, has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life or the new voice has come. The new you has arrived. So back to this Galatians letter really quick. He says, so when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are really clear. Here's a great list of sinful nature things. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, we're not done yet, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these, right? Anyone? Want us to tell your story, right? I mean, Come on, that's the sinful nature. That's that one voice that's constantly pulling us to lean into those things. This explains why spring break wasn't really that fun. Certainly wasn't that satisfying. This explains why road rage doesn't leave you refreshed. Division never unites, ever, right? Selfish ambition leads you full of pride, but not full of joy. Those selfish vices don't lead to the thing that you actually want. They're just temporary solutions. But, but temporary solutions don't really fix our eternal problems. So we constantly leaning in to the loud voice on one shoulder, the voice of the vice that's trying to cause us to find happiness, to solve eternal problems with temporary solutions, and it never works. But there is another, another option. The Apostle Paul says, let me... Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he doesn't mean go to hell. That's not what he means. He means that like the kingdom of God is here and available on earth right now. And anyone who is allowing the voice of sinful nature to dominate their life and their heart is gonna miss out on the peace that I can provide right here, right now, like on this side of heaven. It's a crazy thought that we can actually experience heaven on earth by leaning into the voice of the Holy Spirit day to day. It's incredible that that's true. And so Paul says, by the way, that other voice, that, that, that Holy Spirit voice, it produces a different thing in your life when you follow it. I bet most of you have heard of it. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. This is where we read about it. He says, but the Holy Spirit, if we can listen there, produces this kind of fruit or experience in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. But what Paul basically does is he compares two things. He compares the vices to these virtues. He, he compares these vices to these virtues. So those who belong to Jesus, he says, those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross, crucifying them there since we are living by the Spirit, he says. Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Here's the big point of Paul's whole letter. Here's the big point, that you have two voices in your life all the time as a Jesus follower. The minute you place your faith in Christ, you receive this new voice, and it's a quiet voice that whispers. But that whisper leads you to what you want the most, peace, love, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Meanwhile, the other voice is really loud, and it's yelling at you to follow your heart, to do you. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, do whatever you want, with who you want, where you want, it's fine. 
And we're gonna end up choosing in freedom one of the two voices. We can submit ourselves or we can surrender to the spirit. The beauty is we have the freedom to choose. We can either submit ourselves to one of the voices that leads to what we actually want, or we can submit ourselves to ourselves, continue to follow ourselves and find ourselves in all sorts of problems. I probably don't need to convince you that the Apostle Paul is right about this because your own life has probably proved that. You've probably been in enough experiences in your own life that prove him correct. You, you followed the voice of sinful nature. You didn't call it that. You didn't know it was that. You thought it just was a great spring break idea, you know? You thought it was just a really fun person to hang around with. But you listened to that one voice and it led to regret and it led to all the things you don't want in pursuit of what you did want. Meanwhile, God is looking at you saying, oh my gosh, please just allow the Holy Spirit to be the voice that's guiding you along the way. See, the world is constantly yelling for us to look outward. The Holy Spirit's whispering to look inward. You know what that means? It means that if we really want to experience freedom, there is a way to do it. The most freeing thing you can do, though, is to give the Holy Spirit authority over you. It's the most freeing thing you can do. And, and you think, I know it, you think that you don't want to have authority, but let's just call it what it is. We all live under authority, your own authority or God's authority. It's one of the two. You're not free. You're really not even free. Paul called that out. You're not totally free. You're going to be following something, one of the voices or one of the whispers. Which one do we wanna follow? Which one do we think will lead us to the best experience in life? This is so personal for me. Um, and I bet it's personal for a lot of you because you probably all have stories of when you didn't do it correctly. Several years ago when I was um, you know, in Atlanta leading at a church, I um, was just so frustrated, so tired, I was exhausted. I mean, you know, like all of our jobs are tiring, but the, the, the lead pastor job is just a unique kind of exhaustion because nobody's satisfied with you. Everybody has an opinion. They're always right. Uh, they want you to do things differently. They, they're mad that you didn't do this. It's, you know, it's just, it's, it's hard. And it's part of signing up for the job. It's not your fault that you do that. I'm sure Paul loves every one of you equally and you complain sometimes and he understands. I mean, it's part of the job, you know? And, and, but it can be exhausting and the weight can get really heavy. And, and there was a moment in my life, I just felt so tired. And I, and I had this one voice in my head constantly saying to me, hey man, maybe you should quit this. Like, you do you, boo. Like, go get a corporate job. By the way, you'll make a lot more money. You don't have to take it home as much at night. You don't have to do funerals anymore. Like, it's probably a pretty good gig. Like, get out of this while the getting's good, you know? And in my emotional heart, it felt like a Titanic. Like the whole thing was sinking. I was not being a good husband. I was being a bad dad. I mean, everything about my life just felt like it was unraveling. I'm so frustrated. So I, I drove down to my mom and dad's house, um, like an hour and, or so, a little south of where I live, and I was just talking to my dad about it. My dad's like 77 now, but he was probably 70 at the time. You know, again, you, you didn't realize, you know, how smart your dad was until you became a dad and realized that you didn't know what you were doing. And, you know, my dad is so wise. He's 70. He's got 70 years of life experience. And so I drove down and I was just telling my dad, I'm like, man, I'm just so irritated. You know, I'm so frustrated. And like, uh, you know, I think about leaving, you know, go back to corporate, you know, whatever. And so we start talking and um, 
He's asking me all these really good questions and I don't want him to answer, I don't want him to ask questions. I just want him to say, yeah, you do you, Gavin. That's what I want him to say, right? But he didn't say in that, you know? Because you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks through other people. Have you had that happen? So I'm talking to my dad about all this stuff and all the frustration that I'm living through and all the irritation and there's nothing happy about it at all. And about two hours into my soliloquy, my dad stops me and he says, hey, Gavin, He's trying to be funny, I think. He goes, I've known you your whole life. I'm like, okay, that's really funny. You know, okay, okay. He goes, I've known you your whole life. He says, and I think what you might be missing is that everything you already uh, want, you already have. He looks at me and he says, Gavin, you already have what you want. You just don't know it. And so on the way home, I started thinking a lot more about that. You know what he meant? He meant, Gavin, when you were seven, you, you placed your faith in Jesus. I remember. You, you came and told me about it, right time you did it. At that moment, you received the Holy Spirit, which means that at that moment, you received everything you actually need. You've just forgotten for a minute. And I know you're a pastor, you're a professional Christian, you're not supposed to forget that stuff, but we're all sinful. We all have a sinful nature. We all have a voice that can get really loud at times and drown out the whisper of the Spirit. He said, Gavin, everything you already want, you have. You just forgot. You just don't know it. Here's the challenge as we kind of wrap up this conversation today. Every single one of us, every single one of us has a voice that we're gonna listen to. The question is, which one is it gonna be? Your voice or the voice of the Spirit? The beauty is you're free to choose. You are free to surrender. You just get to choose which side you're gonna surrender to. I think my hope for us, and I'm pretty sure Paul's hope for you, is that we'll choose to listen to the still quiet voice of the counselor. And in doing so, probably find everything we want in the first place. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you just so much for sending your son to die for us so that we can have the spirit of, your, of yourself in our hearts. Thank you for indwelling in us and allowing us to experience a new voice that can lead us to a new kind of experience. So God, wherever that lands with us, I pray that you give us kind of the wisdom to understand it and the courage to listen to that other quiet voice that can lead us to everything we actually want. God, we love you. Jesus, we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for joining us at RCC today. And don't forget, come back next week uh, with Paul Smith. He's kicking off that new series, No Regrets. Thanks a lot. See you guys later.